Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Good morning, church. We are uh, picking back up on a series that we began at the beginning of the year in which we called uh, Decide. And this series was just beginning the, um, the beginning of the year, just asking the question, how do we as God's people make spirit-filled and spirit-led decisions? This is from some of our language that we've been using for over the next three years. And we've been talking about how do we make these spirit-filled and led decisions on some of the most difficult decisions in life, decisions that are in front of us that we're not exactly sure. It doesn't feel extremely clear which way that we should go. As a recap, because we've been away from it for a couple weeks, I want to touch on what we've talked about so far. In the first week, we talked about how God's decisions in the beginning of the Bible reveal God's goodness. So that God and God's love actually gives you decisions to make in your life as a way of taking the good that God gives you and deciding things to make more good. In part two, we talked about how God's people don't just make decisions, but they're also invited into the practice of discernment. This is where we listen to others around us, where we weigh what is before us, where we empty ourselves, and we actually ask God for direction in our decisions. In part three, we talked about how do we have an open mind as we're thinking about these things, and not just an open mind to just any idea that's out there, but how do we open our mind to the mind of Christ? And next week, I want to finish by talking about uh, a phrase that people use sometimes and is used throughout Scripture of God's will. And I think people get uh, sometimes a little anxious when they hear the phrase of God's will, and I hope I'm working within God's will and I'm doing God's will for my life. So I want to finish with that one today. But um, what I'm, I'm going to finish that next week. But today, the piece that I want to talk about is actually testing our decisions. When we think we have a direction, when we think we know the decision we want to make, how do we test? that decision where we perceive God may be directing us. That word test actually comes from the passage that Tommy read this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to actually turn to that passage. It's in 1 John. Uh, If you don't know quite where to find 1 John, it sneaks just in those back letters. You can go to the table of contents and look for it. And it's in the fourth chapter. And for it to be in the fourth chapter, there may be some helpful context of what is happening in those previous chapters. John, who was a disciple of Jesus, following closely with Jesus, is writing to some small communities of faith. And they're heartbroken. They're writing to a group of people who are walking through grief because there's been some people in the community who sense or feel God's direction and are making some claims about God, and they have broken off from the rest of the group. And John writes to the group who has hung back, who is faithfully still sticking to the story of Jesus in the way it has been handed 
down to them. And sometimes John and 1 John will refer to uh, the people who break away as uh, the Antichrist. And if that language like sums up these like massive images for you, maybe another way to think of it is John addresses them as the accusers, those who have parted ways with the story that's been handed to them. And in 1 John chapter 4, John actually gives a word of caution. It's what Tommy just read a second ago. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. And John wants to emphasize that there should be a testing. That God's people should not be dismissive. God's people should not also be assuming but that God's people should be discerning people, that they should be testing people. That word test or discern in the original language, it means literally to distinguish or to separate out, to identify is this thing real or not? Because many people come claiming that they know a direction of God, but the people of God should actually test if that is from God. Maybe one way to think of this word is, uh, I remember in 2020, uh, reading an article um, about Subway and uh, Subway being claimed uh, that they were liars. And uh, I remember saying, I'm going to click on this article because I need to know how Subway, the sandwich shop, is a liar. And apparently the courts in Ireland actually sued Subway. And they actually said, you guys aren't actually serving bread to your customers. And so this long testing came about for Subway. And one of the things that the courts of Ireland said is that they said, we believe bread. For bread to qualify as bread, the sugar should not exceed 2% of the weight of the flour. That should be the rule. That's what qualifies as bread. If it's beyond that, it's not bread. And after several uh, months of testing, they found out that most Subway bread, I know this is going to hurt our souls, but most Subway bread contains five times the amount of sugar that it should. It should qualify, at least in Ireland, more as a cake or a biscuit or a donut. They tested it and discerned. Subway said, this is your bread. And then when you looked further into it, you're like, but is this really bread? Never mind that in 2014, Subway was also called out because they used to put just some small micronutrients in it. That's the same thing that you put in yoga mats. So we should be cautious going to Subway is the point of the sermon. Let's bring the worship team up. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> to test and discern is to ask, is this bread from God? First John's community are going to run into something doctrinally that they should test and discern. And I think it's worth also noting that throughout Christian history, uh, Christians beyond just who 1 John is first written to would read this passage and use it as a way of discerning not just doctrinally, but also directionally. So I want to talk about how do we test? How do we discern when ideas or when people pray for us or when people talk about God's movement, how do we discern the decisions that we're making over our lives? I think, and this is just my wording, but I think that three ways to look at this that are helpful 
is uh, we test a decision by checking A, with the story that's spoken over us, B, by the voices that are around us, and three, by the Spirit with us. This is the way that we check and test and discern a decision that's before us. Let's walk through those three. Here's the first one. The story that is over us. One of my um, favorite stories told, told by a well-known uh, researcher, she actually lives in Houston, is uh, Brene Brown. And she tells this wonderful story that's not wonderful for her, but she tells this wonderful story of uh, what she calls the refrigerator debacle. And uh, she describes it like this. She was in a season of her life where she felt overwhelmed just as a wife and as a mom and as a boss and as a business owner. And one night she was sitting at the kitchen table, completely discouraged, feeling buried by the work that she had in front of her. And her husband walks in from work and steps into the kitchen and he opens the fridge, stares into the fridge, and then just declares out loud to the whole family, we don't have any lunch meat in this house. And Brene Brown describes this moment as that was the moment when I snapped. I thought to myself, how dare he? How dare he declare how I am not fulfilling my responsibilities in this household? And when she actually tells a story to audiences, she actually calls out to the audience and she's like, what do you think the next words I said to my husband were and people would yell out different things like that's ridiculous or like my favorite was someone's like leave him <laughs> but she walks into the kitchen and broken by his comment she goes you know what steve i bet you if you hop in that big old truck of yours and you point it west you can run into an HEB that's full of different packets of ham for you to be able to actually fix yourself a sandwich instead of relying on me as your spouse to be able to deliver that for you. And her husband just looks at her and just goes, Brene, what is 30 times 365? And Brene goes, now he's math shaming me. He wants to go to the floor. So she starts to chew him out even more of like, I don't know what that number is. And he goes, I don't know what that number is. But he said, of all the years that we've been married, 30 of those years, never have I ever come home expecting that there should be a fully stocked fridge. As a matter of fact, Brene, who actually buys the groceries in this house? I do. I'm not saying that you're a lousy mom or a lousy wife or a poor daughter. I'm just commenting that there's no ham in the fridge. And Brene Brown takes that story and she says that for a lot of us, one thing we should be cognizant of is the story that you live in is the story you will live out. So if you live a story where you're walking around telling yourself something about yourself or something about God, you actually start to live out that story. When we ask people, when we ask them, tell me your story, what we're asking people is we're asking them, tell me the story that is shaping you. That's why for some of us, we need to hear that if we think we are inadequate, 
And we are walking around every day telling ourselves the story of how many ways that we are inadequate, then we start living a life that's on a trajectory of being inadequate. And not only the story you tell yourself about yourself matters, but maybe more importantly, the story you tell about God and God's position towards you actually matters. Did you notice when John is trying to reorient the community? He's saying, hey, I know there's this group of people who are saying these things and accusing you of those things. The first thing he does is he actually pulls them back to the story of Jesus. He says, by this, you'll know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. For the believers of first John, he is calling them back to their first love of their story. He's saying for the Christian faith, when we use the word God, it is the story of Jesus that claims the meaning and the nature of God. And for this community that's broken away, one of the things that we think they're wrestling with is that the accusers or these people were coming into the community and they're being like, look, he was fully divine, but like he wasn't fully human. Like his humanness was kind of like a coat. Like it, it just, it kind of gave the perception that we, he was human. He wasn't actually fully human and fully divine. And John goes, whoa, 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 that's not the story of Jesus that's been handed down to you. So you should not trust the direction of the people who are claiming that. Now, one of the hardest parts of discerning for the community of First John and also for us is that it wasn't like these people were coming in and completely rejecting Jesus. The difficulty was that they had a distortion of the story of Jesus. I think this is part of our discernment with one another, is that even for us today, there are distorted images of the story of Jesus or the story of God. To just kind of walk through a couple of distortions, I think there's four that are pretty prevalent right now in the world. You know, the first I think is a a transactional story of Jesus. And what is so tricky about all four of these is that there's elements of truth in each of those stories. For the first one, transactional, is people lean on the story of Jesus to be a transaction of being able to go to heaven. That that is the main emphasis of the story of Jesus. And that's not completely wrong. Those who trust in the name of Jesus have assurance of life with God. At the end of time, that is true. But Jesus did not go around claiming you need to believe in me so you can go to heaven. What Jesus went around preaching and saying was that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus went around not just calling for a transaction. He actually was asking for transformation. That Jesus isn't just wanting to like beam you up into heaven wherever it is. And that's the main point of the story. Jesus literally prays in his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of trusting your life to Jesus is turning your whole life over to the discipleship of Jesus. It's not just a transaction. The second story that is Uh, around, and I know for some of us, we hear this from time to time, is a health and wealth story of Jesus. 
something that goes along the lines of God's main concern over your life is your comfort and your success. That if things are going good in your life, then God must be good with you. And if things are going bad in your life, God must not be going well with you or have good things for you. And the slither of that story that's true is there are many blessings that you have in Jesus Christ that are so true. And Jesus warns us that we will face trouble in this world. He warns the disciples that if they truly lean into life with God, persecution will actually come. God's goodness is not oriented towards our action. God is good because God's good, not because we're good. The third story, which I would also say we're deeply steeped in in the culture, is freedom. Uh, That the story of Jesus is all about uh, being free. Uh, And by free, what I mean by that is uh, in Christ Jesus, you can do anything that you want to do. Like we say it in the sense of as long as you're not harming anyone, you should just do what you ever perceive is true. And there is a freedom that comes in Jesus Christ by his blood, but it is a freedom to become a certain type of person. Jesus and the biblical authors wouldn't define freedom as doing whatever you want to do in life. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5, Paul would say, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. In other words, you are freed from the bondage of sin to become like Jesus in the world. I think of one of our people who just went through Alpha, described how he lived a season of life where he was like, it's kind of a free-for-all. I'll just kind of go and do whatever I want to do in the world. And he's like, that brought me a great sense of depression. And he said, and then I met Jesus, and I started living my life the way he started living his life. And he's like, as weird as it sounds, it's actually working within those boundaries that I found the most freedom in my life. And last one is the improvement story. And this one, I love this one because it goes on both ends of the spectrum. That the story of Jesus is Jesus wants you to be extremely good and moral, or we define it as Jesus just wants political action from you. He wants you to make the world a better place. And they're both the same sides of the same coin. That the goal of the story of Jesus is for you to be a good person. And I would argue that if the world is showing us anything right now from the past 50 years of how we've talked about things is that you don't necessarily have to believe in God to be a good person. There's plenty of Gen Zers that are walking around right now that are like, what, what do I, what do I need church? Like I, I can, I can do all the things that are good in society without needing to believe in any of these things. Or we emphasize, you know, Your job is to walk around the world and support all the things and make sure you're doing all the right things. And there is truth that living in God's life, you should live out the righteousness of God, not just to God's people, but everyone else around them. But there is a disease, a dis-ease in all humanity that is not answered just by social action. 
I find it interesting that, you know, some people that want to tackle the world by storm and do really good things, and they have no anchor of why they do those good things, actually become very burned out people. Because you're not anchored to the living water that is supposed to flow through you for doing those good things in the world. So then the question becomes, so what story are we living by if it's not any of those four? then maybe the story to think about it is what Paul says in Romans 1. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's saving power for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it's written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This is the story. If you say yes to the gospel, the gospel first is about Jesus Christ. That is the story. That is the message. That Jesus Christ is the one who comes, God in the flesh, who actually declares, this is what I desire for all people. He brings saving power that He declares over your life, and He also invites that power to fill you by His Spirit. That means that God has meaning and purpose for every single person who sits in this room this morning. That heaven, God's reality that will one day be here on earth fully is accessible to you right now. That we live out life with God horizontally and we also live out life with God vertically. It's why the church matters. It's why loving people matters. It's how we exercise the righteousness that's over God. And you are saved. You live in this story, not because of your own righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. To say it again, God is good to you, not because you are good in the world, but because God's just good in Jesus Christ. And your way of returning God's love is by living a righteous life. When you live in the ways of God, you are saying, I love you, God. So the first thing we do is we just ask ourselves, what story are we kind of walking around in? Like, what story are we telling ourselves about God? And the decision that's in front of us, that decision that we make, are we living in response to what Jesus Christ has and is doing in me? The second is this, voices around us. When we're trying to discern a decision, we should ask the voices of those who are in the church around us to say, I'm thinking and I'm weighing out this decision and I, wanna, I want you to pray with me on this decision. You know, it's interesting in 1 John in verses 4 and 5, um, he says, little children, you are from God and you have conquered uh, from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. In other words, John is saying, hey, every person is influenced by one of two things. Either you're influenced by the Spirit of God or you are influenced by the Spirit of the world. And why the church matters so greatly is that we all come together and the Spirit is working through all of us to actually give us direction in our lives. 
You know, some people hear of the work of the Spirit and they're like, yeah, you know, I don't really need the church. I just want all the Spirit stuff. And if you flip through the back of the Bible in the letters, you find what the Holy Spirit is doing is working and building the church. I love the way Will Willimon says it. He says it's so snarky. I love his snarkiness. He says it this way. There are those who contest, argue. There are those who argue the often boring organizational institutional church with the alleged carefree and free-floating Holy Spirit. These tend to be the people who say, I'm spiritual, but not in the religious crowd. Sorry. The Holy Spirit rests upon bodies. First, the crucified body of Jesus, then often the full of holes, beaten body of Christ. That is the church. You need the people of God when discerning these big decisions in life. And I know for some of us, the next question, especially those of us who have been in church for a while, are like, yes, and I've been a little bit bruised by the church. Or I've had moments that haven't gone well with the church. And when I let those voices in, how do I know when someone is speaking and helping direct in God's direction? I mean, there is a truth of like when we walk out of the waters of baptism, it's not like all the world's influences just stop on us. Like sometimes we're still dropping, we're still dripping with the attitude or the instincts or the norms or the values of the world. And one of the things the church does is it helps actually in the work of purifying us, of actually helping us discern what God is doing. And I think for those of us who maybe we're a little nervous around the people of God, there, there's a couple of questions Christians have asked for a while. You know, if someone's giving you guidance or speaking into your life, history would say a couple of things. One, uh, does that person that's speaking, uh, do they have the characteristics of Christ? Do they have the fruits of spirit like flowing through them? That's a question. Another question that people would ask is they would actually ask, you know, what spiritual state do I find myself in when I receive this direction from somebody? This is where some Christian history would be helpful for us. Sometimes the word consolation and desolation is helpful. Consolation is just a way of saying, I'm in a posture towards the faith, hope, and love in my life is moving towards Jesus Christ. And de desolation is a state in which I'm moving away from the faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ. So one question to just ask ourselves is when people in the church speak into our lives, we ask, what spiritual state does this set me in? Is what they're saying helping me move towards greater faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ? Or is it moving me away from faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ? And we should be cautious of like not letting one emotion be defined as like, oh, that's God. Like sometimes, and I know, I know why we say this. Sometimes we say, I felt, you know, complete peace about it. So I know that's God. And that could be true. But like also in the scriptures, like God comes to some people and like peaceful is the last thing that they are feeling because he's asking them to do something challenging. So a better question when people speak into our lives is, do I sense consolation by what they're giving me? Is it challenging me to move to greater faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ? I remember when I first got married, my wife said, saying, we need to get in a small group. And I said, no, 
um, I do not want to join uh, a small group. And I remember like the reaction that was within me was one that I knew when she was speaking into my life, joining a small group would pull me towards greater faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. So even though my reaction to it was not one that was positive, it was one that was pulling me forward. And finally, the last one, uh, the Spirit with us. Do you notice John's phrasing? He literally says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I don't know about you, but if I was in, uh, if I was in John's position and I was writing to this group and we're talking like heresy-like level, I wouldn't be like, trust the spirit that's in you. I'd be like, no, let's put some stuff down on paper. Let's like be talking about like something that's written down. And John assures them that the spirit of God is with them in the community. He says, rely on him. Part of the message of God is that God and Jesus Christ has gone to great lengths, not just for you to be in his presence, but for his presence to actually be in you. The message of the ascension of Jesus is good news for all of us. I think sometimes we think about Jesus ascending and we're like, okay, it's all history from here. We're kind of left to figure it out on our own. It's like a really bad E.T. movie, like he just ascends and he's gone. And the ascension is good news, not because it says Jesus can't be found anymore. The ascension actually declares that the presence of Jesus is actually available, available anywhere through his spirit. That when we pray, when we enter our time of prayer, we commune with the spirit of God. The Bible says the enemy of the world. The Bible says that he is the accuser. And the name that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is the advocate. You can trust the accuser or you can trust the advocate. He helps you. He helps you discern the things that are him. Maybe uh, a story to finish it here. You know, I, um, I remember in, uh, oof, we're going to try this. Uh, I remember in uh, college, I was going down. I remember in college, uh, I learned one way to do laundry. And I think doing laundry would actually be the same way that most of us kind of live our lives. What I would do is I would take my whites, and I'd take my towels, and I would take my pants and my shirts. And you know what I'd do after I'd separate them? I'd put them all back together, and I would stuff them in the wash, and I'd put as much detergent in there as I could, and then I would pray that it didn't explode. And sometimes it would explode. Then I would take it all out, I would dry it, and I would throw things together. And you know what I would do? Every day that I woke up, I would rummage through the laundry, find what I want to wear for the day, and I would wear it. I think that's a really good analogy for how a lot of us live life. We kind of live at this neck-breaking speed that like we got all these things that happen in the world. Someone gives us some advice. Someone says, you know, what God wants you to do is this. We have this different message. You know, we're looking at Netflix that's telling us the story about God, and we're just throwing all of these things in here. And what I'm trying to say is that prayer, prayer is the sorting of the laundry. It's where the advocate helps us sort out like, hey, this this isn't the story that you're living right now. And this, there may be a little bit of truth of what this person said. 
But is that life in consolation or desolation? And this, what's the character of this person as they said this to me? And I felt this movement during prayer. What does that mean for this decision? Prayer is when we actually sit in the presence of God silently and we wait for God to help us sort out the different things. It helps us sift through. Here's the language of the Bible. It helps us sift through what is the flesh and what is the movement of the Spirit of God. So when we pray, what we're doing is we're slowly sorting out the direction of God that is in our lives. Uh, around the laundry, I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come up now. Um, I know for some of us, when we talk about discernment and decisions, um, the first word of John needs to be the last word that we hear. Um, you know, John literally starts his fourth chapter uh, by actually saying, beloved. He says, beloved. And I can't help but think of a saint who she actually wrote these words of talking about being the beloved of God. She says, in contemplation, that's her word for prayer. In prayer, the Lord himself relieves us of this care for ourselves. For he will not trust us to look after ourselves. Some of us, we just need to hear that this morning. He will not trust us to look after ourselves. So dearly does he love our souls. For our sight is poor and the dust which we meet on the road blinds us. But in contemplation, the Lord brings us to the end of the day's journey without our understanding of how. What I want you to hear in the midst of your big decisions you're trying to make is that you are not alone when it comes to caring for your life. There is a God who cares for you. Even if you walked in here this morning and you feel like no one else has your back or you feel alone caring for yourself, God loves you and in Jesus Christ has gone to hell and back for you, for you to not be alone. And that is a beautiful grace because that means even when we're blinded by our jealousy or our ambition or our hurt or our confusion, that the Lord is still caring for us and helping us get to the end of our lives in the way that we need most. God may not like every decision in the world, but God does love every decision maker that is in the world. God is simply good. Not because of your good actions, but because God is good. So Lord, uh, we pray. Can you help us be discerning and testing people? God, I pray for some of us, we lean so hard that we dismiss anything that's going on in our lives that could be direction from you. And I pray for others of us for wisdom when we're maybe too assumptuous about things that could be pointing us in your direction. Lord, we pray, can you give us the gift of making wise decisions? All for your glory. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.